0: You know we we didn't come here to be good all right that's not why we're here today we came here to be great
1: second and goal from the three offset eye in the backfield with Stackhouse house and gun there's the snap manning
2: back to throw. swings at the gun he catches it at the one Hello, and welcome in to another edition of the Grove Report podcast, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. My name is John Macon Gillespie, and I'm your host. And as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt Galatson and John Garcia. Guys, how's it going? Pretty good. Exciting win for Ole Miss over the weekend. Uh,
1: Devastating loss for Texas. Um, so my, my, weekend was, was quite the, the polar polar opposite, uh, you know, it's one side of my, uh, or actually, well, like kind of two sides of, of my beat were both very disappointed. A and M had some very interesting thoughts about the, uh, the Ole Miss loss, Texas fans are having a meltdown. Ole Miss fans are on cloud nine, um, Arkansas one. So they're happy. A um, lot, lot going on in college football this past weekend. It was sort of an underrated weekend, in my opinion.
0: I agree. It was kind of my, my sneaky statement Saturday. I thought a lot was kind of settled in terms of perception in the league. You know, I think Georgia had finally a little bit of an early test, responded well to, to maintain their status. Bama took care of business. And then, yeah, that, the whole rest of, of that tier is – is what happened on, on Saturday. I, I think it's AM and m and Ole Miss and Auburn. Um, so I think a lot of that is starting to get settled. So I thought a lot of important uh, moves were made Saturday and yeah, Ole Miss fans should be extremely happy. I mean, this, there, there were a lot of, and we'll get into it, but there were a lot of times where you're like, this is going to cost them. This is going to cost them. And he's like, you kept saying that. And then it kind of didn't in the end, really because of the defense, which is something that, you know, we don't talk enough about. But yes, it, it should be a very joyous week for Ole Miss fans because it felt like one of those games where you are you did just enough to kind of keep the opponent in it for them to, to kind of take advantage in the end. But of course that didn't happen. So yeah, Lane, you, you, saw, you saw it on his face. Uh, and I thought that was kind of a, of a reflection uh, of where the Rebels are, not only in the SEC, but nationally. This is a true top 10 type of team yeah and you mentioned seeing it on on Lane's face
2: um usually his post game pressers are regardless of win or loss are really highlighting the things they didn't do right um which in my opinion I guess is just a a hallmark of a good coach just always looking to improve or at least portraying that to the media but on Saturday he led with now, you know this is this is a really cool win. He led with the positives on Saturday, and that that kind of I think spoke spoke more volumes than some people have even thought of. Really, uh, just because he's he's typically not one to lead with praise, kind of like that. And um, yeah, no, he you, you could tell that Saturday's win meant a lot to him. I think because of all of the national publicity that he and the program and the school had received obviously with college game day in town um so yeah it was you you could definitely see it
1: yeah and i think it's his first signature win as a head coach anywhere isn't it am i wrong about that no I'm, yeah I'm, i mean
0: he, uh, he, he almost got bama of course with with you know um mount cody's pair of blocks there um but yeah i think if if there are others, this was the best one. I think that one most everyone could agree on. Yeah,
1: and it's 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 great for him. Um, it might not be so great for all of us the long run when it comes to Kiffin, because he's every time he wins a game like that, he's just going to become more of a national uh, commodity when it comes to the coaching carousel. Um, but I, I thought one of one of the interesting things that I took from Saturday was the reaction of the a and fans to the loss. Um, it was kind of split into two different things. None of them actually were um, really that upset about the loss that I saw. Some of them, I guess, were. But for the most part, it was uh, they were either in one or two camps. It was either A, well, yeah, we lost, but we really should have won that game, which I would love for somebody to unpack with me and show their work. I, I, I thought Ole Miss dominated the entire thing. Um, really left a lot of points on the board too and, and had plenty of opportunities to make that score even more of a, you know, a, a uh, more of a blowout than it, than it actually was because it felt like a blowout to me. It, the score didn't really indicate it, but the whole thing felt like it was all old Miss the whole time. And then the other camp <laughs> was talking about, well, at least we did lose to Kansas. It's like, yeah, that's, that's true. But, you know, maybe you should focus more on yourself. But, um, but look, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a massive, massive win for Ole Miss. Um, not just because of the the ranking of AM, but because of of what you guys have been talking about, the national stage that I mean the whole day was about Ole Miss. And they made a statement, and it's a statement that this program hasn't really made since you know 2015 when they beat. Alabama and Tuscaloosa Um, yeah the Sugar Bowl thing was good but that thing you know that at that point they had already kind of started to establish themselves even though that eventually ended up being uh, where the program afterwards where the program started to unravel a little bit but this is the biggest win in at least probably half a decade for Ole Miss I would think and it's it's um, it really puts them on a huge course with uh, with the amount of momentum that it gives them, and if they can manage to win out, which we'll we'll talk about in a little while, um, it really really sets them up nicely.
0: And what a way to do it! Like you said, this really could have been twenty eight nothing, maybe thirty one nothing at the break. I mean, it really could have been a a route and and one where the offense. Kind of does what even the casual fan would expect Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin to do really against anyone, right? Put up points, be entertaining, move the football, blah, blah, blah. But I think the fact that it was so dominant defensively, truly for four quarters on that side of the ball. I mean, outside of the the AM drive out of the break where where it was, you know, refocus on the run game and all of that. Uh, I, I think that is where the national narrative and the feel of this team as a top 10 group starts to really take shape uh, and I think that's that's probably for me that's probably why Lane was so not only relieved but but truly happy to get a win like that because uh, that defense has been good at times and has been good um, opportunistically with turnovers maybe for a half or a very good quarter something like that but uh, it hadn't put together a, a true four-quarter domination against a power five team. Uh, and, and to do it against a when, let's be honest, A&M has a more talented roster. a and is a more established program. A&M has been in bigger games, has more benefit of the doubt. All of those things, um, to do it that way on that side of the ball, really undermanned on defense, I thought, said even more, uh, about the program so uh, yeah Lane Lane should be thrilled and Ole Miss fans should be happy and, and Matt you you know this program as well as anyone if you say it's the biggest win in a half decade then damn it it's the biggest win in a half decade so uh, there there should be a lot of praise and and I think as we start looking forward you got to say at what point does Lane finagle his way into the coach of the year at least conversation he's not going to win it uh, but we, we've talked about Corral and the Heisman so much when is Lane gonna finagle his way into uh into that conversation? Because there's a legitimate 10-and-2 opportunity for Ole Miss at the end of this regular season. And 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 that Mississippi State game, rivalry aside, is getting bigger and bigger. So if you escape that one on the road, no less, I think he he gets you know on the ballot, if there is a theoretical ballot. So uh I think there's a lot of this this is a gateway win to a broader conversation uh that goes just beyond individual awards, New Year's six, all of that. It really puts Ole Miss in a different focus.
1: Well, I think one of the other things there too is uh for one on the on the defense, just to to touch on something else real quick. After Springer got ejected, you thought that Ole Miss might take a hit on defense and then start to loosen up a little bit because he's been so um critical in what they do on defense you you could tell when he was out and then when he came back how much of a difference there was in that defense and they still it managed to hold firm when he was out of that game which I think was huge and it showed exactly how good of a defensive coordinator DJ Durkin is but the other thing and John you mentioned the the 10 and 2 season I don't think Ole Miss has ever done that in a regular season am I wrong John Macon they they have not so if he's able – if Kiffin is able to do that and give Ole Miss their first 10-win regular season in school history, he has to be a candidate for Coach of the Year. I mean, he just has to be because that's – to do something for a university that they've never done in the history of their program when they were where they were two years ago, I mean, that, that, that would simply be one of the biggest feats in college football in the last two years. And I'm not well, – being who else is that. in there?
0: Who else is in there? Dave Aranda, for sure, right?
1: Yeah, Mel Tucker.
0: Mel Tucker, um, Luke Fickle. But, I mean, that's, you can you can make yeah. an argument against that one, I think, relatively easily. Um, I think Brian Kelly should be in that conversation. They, they are not as talented as we are used to, and they're going to probably go 11-1. and one. Um, well, And who easy, else? Is, the easy choice
1: would be Kirby Smart if he's able to go undefeated through the regular season in the SEC championship. But... Um, you, you can't discount what Lane Kiffin's doing. I mean, 10 wins at Ole Miss is, on, it, I mean, it's quite literally unheard of. So it's 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 right. got to be something that they take into
0: account. Well, they, I, they I mean, usually fight against the talent too, right? You know, saving, mm-hmm. I don't know how many Coach of the Year awards he has, but it's probably not a lot. So I think everybody at this point understands that. Kirby's dealing with a loaded deck, but he obviously deserves a spot and maybe the lead spot on that ballot for, for my money, especially given people don't realize how injured George has been. Obviously, the quarterback situation's been a mess and he's actually navigated it very well, which is something that in the past he's been criticized for. So there's been clear growth with Kirby as, as a coach, but um, I, I think for him, not only does he not get the benefit of the doubt because of the talent he has, but we all know what's looming next month for him and, and they'll be favored against Alabama. And they probably should beat Alabama on paper, but until he does that individually, he's like not open and, and, and in contention for, for these things, perceptionally, at least that's how it feels. Like he has to get over that threshold to, to get to, to the next level of the video game.
2: Yeah. And I know uh, I say Ole Miss has never had a 10 win regular season, at least one, not one that we could find. There were multiple of us looking for that in the press box in the media guide on Saturday, and we could not find one. Um, so I feel fairly confident in saying that. Um, but uh, there's there's something that, that y'all mentioned going back just a little ways um, about how big of a statement win this is. Do And Matt may be more positioned to answer this. Uh, than, than myself even. Um, do you think in years past Ole Miss wins a game where it feels like they missed so many opportunities there to widen the margin? Like, do you think that the game that we saw on Saturday is a winnable game for Ole Miss in years past? Does that make sense how I phrase that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And and no, I don't think so. Um, and not only is is this game a great example of what you're talking about, in the way Kiffin has sort of changed the mentality of the program, but I think there's multiple wins on this schedule that you could say that as well. Tennessee's another one, um, just off the top of my head and Arkansas, Arkansas is another one. Those are all games that Ole Miss loses under any head coach in the probably, um, since, since coach O arrived on, on Ole Miss's campus, this is the first time I could probably say that, they
2: win this kind of game and they've already done it multiple times this season. And that's, that's kind of what made me hesitant to pick against Ole Miss. Of course I wound up picking Ole Miss to win, but that's something that made me hesitant to pick against them is that this season, they have just seemed to win those type of games, the type of game that I thought it was going to be anyway. Um, and I thought with the momentum of college game day and a you and know, AM not having a true road game outside of Missouri leading up to this. Um, that's, that's kind of what tipped me over the edge to say, okay, actually, I think Ole Miss is going to win this. I went back and forth multiple times throughout the week. Um, but that's kind of where I landed. And I, I do think that the energy carried over from game day, just with the fan base and everything, um, it, it was palpable on Saturday. Obviously y'all weren't there in person, but in person it was a palpable difference in energy that, that hasn't been seen in Oxford for a while before this year.
1: Yeah. I, I so my best friend was at the game and, um, you know, he's, he's like me. He's, you know, we, we were freshmen at Ole Miss together. He, um he's probably the only other person I know that's watched every single Ole Miss football game since the time we stepped foot on Ole Miss's campus in 2005. And we've been to a lot of games together. And he said that that's by far the best atmosphere he's ever seen at Vaughn Hemingway stadium. And I think that says a lot. Um, Cause there's been a lot, a lot of big games about Hemingway, that 2014 Alabama was one of the, you know, probably to this point, that was probably the, you know, the, the biggest wildest crowd that, that we had ever seen, but this one was different. I'm sure it helped it was a night game, but, you know, the fact that Lane Kiffin is bringing this kind of stuff out of the Ole Miss fan base so quickly I think is another thing that that really um, sets him apart from a lot of other Ole Miss coaches because, look, it, 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 it was really hard to get people excited about Ole Miss football again, even last year. Um, they were up and down. People were getting a little bit more excited, but now it's at another level. And I think that's critical for the program's future.
0: Yeah. yeah, this thing is, this thing's rolling. This thing's rolling. There's no doubt uh, about that. And uh, yeah, just, uh, I just wanted to kind of call out a few, a few plays that really uh, I thought um, stemmed the tide. There were, there were some misfires on AM's part in terms of, you know, Zach Calzada. Missing a target or a read that I think almost benefited from. But look, every game's got got some of that. Heck, Corral miss missed a few on his own right. But I thought a couple guys on defense really, really made a lot of plays. I mean, every time there was a second or third and long, um, it felt like Dean Leonard made a play at the catch point. And that's not something we really have said consistently this year. So I thought he deserved. A lot of phrase because we, we focus on third downs and fourth downs, kind of those easy to see uh, plays that move the needle, right? Oh, fourth down conversions not here. They sucked on third down, etc. But with a team like A and M and even Ole Miss this year, for that matter, which has been more methodical than explosive, if if you've got second and ten and you throw you throw the ball eight yards down the field and it's completed, it just it changes the whole trajectory of the drive it changes your pacing your flow all of that so they weren't all on third downs but AM's a team that needs to to play ahead of the sticks or near the sticks offensively because they're a run dominant team with a mediocre subpar passing game so a lot of those plays were second down plays one was in the end zone one was on the tight end on the sidelines i just thought dean played a great game and and then aj finley has has finally become this ball hawk, which is really Springer, you know, is known for more his physical play, playing in the box. Otis Reese is like a hybrid safety backer type, a physical kid, physical young man, I should say. So I I think Ole Miss needs that finesse safety. And over the last few games, obviously, A.J. Finley has has shown a lot of of that potential, three picks, including one of the house to, to really wrap it up. Uh, against AM. so i thought the secondary obviously played really well and, and and the guys up front did did too sam williams can get pressure on his own he's he's probably not being talked about enough in, in the sec and, and matt you made a great point earlier uh, dj durkin this was the most aggressive i've seen him call a game this year I, I thought against arkansas he was really aggressive because you just know you're getting so much run and run action but against AM, it was like Durkin was like, if if we are gonna win or lose this game, it will not be because we let CJ or CJ Spiller, we let Isaiah Spiller run wild and that backfield get going. You know, it, it was like he was dedicated for any other way to show vulnerability. And and that created not only a lot of pressure on Calzada and AM, but um, a lot of pressure on the Ole Miss secondary and and those guys really stepped up with that, that vulnerability open. So I, I thought it was a, really a total defensive effort from, from the coaching staff to the players, execution, all of that. We,
2: we had not, or at least I had not heard the name Ashanti Sistrunk in a long time. I forgot he was still on the roster. I don't know if that speaks negatively about me or what exactly that says, but he came up with two really, really big plays uh, there late in the game as well, um, the interception, the first interception, and uh, I believe he was in on that pass breakup, maybe on fourth down uh, there in the in the fourth quarter. And you know that that's something that you know you you hear the names like Sam Williams, Otis Reyes, Chance Campbell, on and on and on like that. But it was you know kind of in in this game, it was it was a guy that's kind of been an unsung, you know, not very much talked about player who who came up with what I thought were two of the two of the biggest plays um, in in the in the process of the game
1: yeah I mean you it's kind of impressive that you know not just that Ole Miss was able to put together a defense like this largely based off the transfer portal and sort of um, guys that were already in the system that you know, there's there's not a lot of new guys on this roster outside of the transfer portal that have made a big impact. So, uh, the fact that that Durkin was able to sort of fix this defense in one off season and, and make it something respectable that can sort of hold its own in the SEC is is huge in and of itself. But then we have guys like Sistrunk who who have been quiet all season who step up and make big plays like that. It's just more of a testament to Durkin. You know, he was a um, he was a bit of a of an iffy name when Ole Miss hired him just because of everything that happened at his last job and all that stuff. And he is, he is in two years turned this into a very, very tough defense to play against. I mean, I I bet Ole Miss would love to play Auburn all over again, because I, I think if they played Auburn this week, instead of, you know, a couple weeks ago when they were so banged up, Um, you probably would have seen a different result, even though
2: it was on the road and all that stuff. Especially because Auburn is now banged up too. That, that, that would help as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and I think that it even if Ole Miss could go back and 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 redo that just that first half against Alabama, you know, there even that game is so much closer than than the score indicated in the sense that yeah it, it. they got in such a big hole early but after after they sort of fixed what was going on there it was much more of an even game and you know there's there's just so many points in in that game and in the Auburn game that if you just a couple of different things go your way like in Alabama for example with um that first fourth down you know fail deep in Alabama territory if that if that goes the other way maybe you're talking about a different result there and Maybe it's not a win, but it's it sure has held a lot closer in, the, in the Auburn, you know, taking the points when they should have taken the points. I mean, this team is, despite those mistakes and those two losses, they're still, you know, we're, we're about to find out here in an hour where they are in the college football playoff rankings, but if they went out and some crazy stuff happens, you never know. Um, and if we're talking a 12-team playoff right now, you know, if if it's a twelve team playoff next year, or the year after, or whenever that might happen, you know, this is the kind of stuff that makes a huge difference. And um, again, I keep I keep going back and I keep saying this, but the fact that Ole Miss is in this position after that, where they were two years ago is just incredible to me.
2: Yeah. Oh, um, before, oh, before we go any further, what did y'all think about Kiffin as the guest picker um, on on Saturday? <laughs>
1: I thought that was we were, the coolest We were choice. half
0: right. Yeah, we were half right, right?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I I, he, I think he said it after the game, too, that that's the first time that's ever happened, that a, the, a coach who was playing in the game that night was able to do the picks. And I missed it because I, I was doing some other stuff. But um, I love how he picked Mississippi State just because he didn't want to give them bulk, bulletin board material and all that stuff. I mean, it, it that that was one of the coolest things. Um that I've heard of in a long time because I don't think any of us really saw it coming. I mean, yeah, it would have been a fun idea, but that obviously, I mean, it's never happened before. So, you know, I I I love how ESPN recognized how magnetic of a person he is, and um, and gave him that spotlight and gave him that opportunity.
0: And just I, when you think he can't pull further away from the Saban tree, he he <laughs> does he does something like that, you know, where it's like casual off the cuff and even picked his rival to win. Like you said, that was probably the best part. Uh, of course, Katie Perry was involved at the, the front end of it. So, you know, she, she was right too. Right. I mean, she, she called, uh, she called kind of an easy Ole Miss win, which in reality it was, I think when we focus on one team so much, we kind of look at the small things, especially when those close calls have bit Ole Miss this year. Um, uh, but beyond that, beyond kind of the self-contained worry or frustration, you know, Ole Miss cruised for, for the majority of that game, uh, so she was right as well. So definitely a unique moment, and and again another another feather in the cap for the reputation of Lane Kiffin being the "Hey, football's supposed to be fun" kind of guy. Uh, as if anybody needed more ammo in that argument. Now you have yet another talking point to to support it
2: yeah and I'm fairly certain he was not ESPN's first or even second probably not third choice but the fact that they were able to settle on him and I I don't know if y'all watched or were able to watch any of the show I I watched about 30 minutes of it I didn't watch much of it myself but um have y'all seen the clips of when he was fixing to be called up onto the set to actually talk about the game, this was, you know, probably an hour or so before picks and they panned to him and he's just chilling in a Grove tent with a drink in his hand. And he kind of looks at the camera and raises his glass and then he gets up and walks onto the set. Like to me, that's, that's the kind of thing that makes him seem like the perfect fit in Oxford, just as you know, if, if a coach's personality is to match a school's personality or a school's perceived personality. I think Kiffin Kiffin hits the nail on the head there as far as as far as things are concerned with Ole Miss.
1: No, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Um, it's it's one of the more unique. It's probably the most unique fit in college football outside of what Ed Orgeron was for LSU originally. You know, being the deep South Louisiana guy going to the Louisiana school and, and all you that You at one stuff. time
2: called him a literal raging Cajun. No, he is. He, he is. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Incredible. And, uh, you know, I, I think Kiffin is – and that's what's so um, so scary about him being so successful at Ole Miss is I don't know that he would be this good of a fit anywhere else. Um, So – the more that his name's his name gets brought up with you know LSU or or anywhere else, it's uh it's just a sign to Rebel fans like, hey, you know, you, you might want to enjoy this while you can because I mean he's he he has said that, you know, every coach says they're not going anywhere. And I'm sure if whenever he's asked about it, he's gonna say the same thing. But you know, when you're at Ole Miss, that's always something you have to worry about. Um because is is Special of a place as Oxford is, and as special of a place as Ole Miss is, it's not the destination job necessarily, like you know, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, USC, um, you know, Penn State, Notre Dame, those kinds of places. What Texas is supposed to be, but it quite frankly isn't right now. Um, and that that should probably worry Ole Miss fans a little bit, but. You know, I, I think there was a report a little while back about how Keith Carter's working on an extension with with Kiffen or something. I thought I had saw that somewhere, maybe I'm wrong, but they're working on ways to keep him in Oxford, which you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you, you, yeah. you, you desperately hope is the, is the case. Um, but he he certainly um, he's certainly a, a perfect fit in Oxford as far as I'm concerned.
2: So there's there's a lot of a lot, maybe a strong word. There's talk just kind of amongst sports people at times about kind of ranking coaching jobs in the country. Do you you guys think that Kiffin's tenure in Oxford has elevated the perception of that Ole Miss job? Um, I mean, that may be a dumb question, but I just kind of want y'all's take on that. Do y'all think that, that Ole Miss is now perceived as a better job than it was when Kiffin took it?
1: I'll let you take how it could it not?
0: Here. Yeah, how could it not? I mean it's it's his name brings brings juice as as the kids say, right? It just brings an energy. Um, so I think once you hire him, that juice overflows to, to your program and, and it becomes kind of synonymous. And I think uh, John Macon, you said you said that both of you guys said this. I mean it, it, it is a reflection of old Miss and vice versa and that visual on game day was uh, just kind of the, the latest update the refresh on that uh, and my brain started to rank coaches who fit their schools and and he's right there he's right there in that conversation in in terms of one of the best so I think they both have helped each other elevate if that makes sense you know there wasn't a fit at at FAU I mean that's a kind of a pinky up place uh, in, in South Florida and Boca Raton uh, and obviously in Alabama, Lane was the contrast, right? So I think he's taken from all of those jobs. And this is, is, has been the quintessential Lane Kiffin job where he has elevated Ole Miss and Ole Miss has in turn elevated him. And there's no doubt that when recruits get that Ole Miss offer, it feels different than it did, no disrespect, under Matt Luke and even for, for the large portion of the Hugh Freeze tenure, I think it feels like a big top 10 kind of offer. Um, I think with that Freeze group, it was it built up to that apex and then it crashed, you know, 18 months later. But I think this part of it at Ole Miss, if he stays, all of that is still certainly on the way up. And if on the way up means your, your first, potentially your first 10 win regular season. I mean, that's, that's about as good as it gets. So there's no doubt in my mind. Perception is elevated. I I think locally, but, but even nationally, kids from Texas, kids from Florida get that offer. And it it becomes an instant. Oh yeah. I want to go there. I at least, I at least want to visit. And I don't think that was always the case with Ole Miss for the kids who are getting Florida, Georgia, Texas, USC, Ohio State. I think Ole Miss was always viewed second, maybe third tier with those kids and it doesn't feel that way today.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at a program like Ole Miss that, that has had such a meteoric rise in the last 2 years, I mean that that sort of stuff does kind of bleed over and and create a new feel around a program like Clemson wasn't a destination job until Dabo Swinney turned it into one. Um, Texas A&M wasn't a destination job until, you know, Kevin Sumlin kind of started it in the SEC and he he got them going in the right direction. Then it kind of fell apart. But Jimbo Fisher has sort of re-cemented that as one of the top jobs in the country. Um, and then there's other schools where, you know, perception has fallen a little bit. It can go the other way too. Penn state is kind of one of those where, I mean, under Joe Paterno, it was a top five program. And now, now it's, it's sort of slipping a little bit. I mean, they're still doing well and they're still, I mean, not on the field right now, they've kind of fallen off, but in recruiting, they're still doing pretty well. And in those kind of things, Miami used to be a big deal. Now it's kind of, a, 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 yeah, I mean, look, it's, 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 Definitely possible to turn Ole Miss into a top ten job. I don't know that it's a top ten job yet. Um, it's certainly getting close. I think before, even before Kiffin got there, I think Ole Miss was always a top twenty-five job because there's a lot of potential there. No matter, no matter what way you look at it. But when you when you have have done the things that Kiffin has done, and you you've shown what they're capable of doing when they have the right pieces and the right recipe. Then, yeah, I mean, it elevates it greatly. And I think if they finish this season in the top 10, in the, you know, with 10 wins and they finish in the top 10, and they're maybe right on the outside looking into the playoff or something like that, even if Kiffin potentially jumps ship, you know, and goes somewhere else that offers him a billion dollars, I think that you can sustain that momentum because he's, he has helped you get to the point where, okay, yeah, Kiffin goes somewhere else. Now we can go out, and we can get another, you know, mammoth coach that's going to continue that same cycle. It might not be the same thing necessarily because Kiffin is probably the most unique head coach in all of college football, but, you know, you're right there and you can continue that. And, um, you know, I, I think that if, let's say, Kiffin sticks around another two, three, four years, you know, you're you're talking about a, a program that is probably competing for playoff spots over that, you know, that next four or five years, and then you're talking about a team, about, about a program that could be like Clemson. Um, I mean, that's probably a little hyperbolic because Clemson tur- just turned into the biggest juggernaut ever. For <laughs> you know, I mean, they were the only team that could take down Alabama. So, I mean, in the you know, in terms of a championship, so it it it's it has to be exciting as an Ole Miss fan that you're in this position and that you have such a clear, unless there's some sort of other disaster like there was under Hugh Freeze, which I look, I don't think that's ever going to happen again to Ole Miss, at least Um, at least not in my lifetime. You're you're on a trajectory to be a national power for a long time.
2: And that's just, you know, that's just the facts. And look, this pod is designed for Ole Miss fans. Okay, so I'm actually kind of speaking to Ole Miss fans semi a little bit here. Um, I think you are as Ole Miss continues to be successful. Or at least that's their goal. You're going to continue to hear Kiffin's name pop up in the media for other jobs, and. I know that that can cause a lot of anxiety in a fan base, especially in a place like Ole Miss. Um, But I would argue that's something to kind of be embraced a little bit because that shows that kind of like Matt was saying, you know, you're on on the right trajectory. If people want your coach, if people want to poach your coach, I didn't intend to rhyme there, but I did, um, then that means you're doing something right. And – that means you're going to be winning at a high level if major programs, even, you know, more so than Ole Miss, want your head coach. And, you know, I, I, I do think that even, even in the Matt Luke era, Ole Miss, yes, was the top 25 job because you're in the SEC West and that in, in and of itself accounts for a lot, I think, just because of competition and resources, recruiting, all those kind of things. Um, but I definitely think that the the trajectory of the job is on the rise. And I think inevitably, as Kiffin's name comes up for these other jobs, that should be assigned to Ole Miss fans that hey this program's on the right track, regardless of whether he stays or leaves or whatever. And and two, Keith Carter has shown the ability to go out and hire a strong coach one that he believes will fit the school will fit the program and has a good plan for the program and you know there's reason to believe that he would do that again if if the if, if it became necessary
0: all eyes on keith there for sure and that's kind of the natural segue right like what what are the options and what are the realistic destinations where lane would consider. Cause look, I mean, it's, it's a business at the end of the day. Um, I think the, the points that really all of us have made here reemphasize why he is worth the perceptional gamble. I don't know if that's the right phrase there, but look, I mean, six power five jobs are open today. Uh, and the six came open this morning before I woke up in Virginia tech. And these are only going to continue, right? All eyes are on Florida. All eyes are on Miami. There's still a lot of eyes on on other places um, like Duke. And, and it really goes on and on, Georgia Tech, Cal. But it's it's not even about just the big jobs. How does the movement affect Lane and his staff with those second-tier jobs as well? But in terms of Lane, I mean, the Sunshine State is, is – one that he definitely enjoys. Um, obviously he was there at FAU. He, he is often seen there whenever he does have some downtime. So the odds of both of two of the three power jobs in Florida opening up, maybe at the same exact time, I, I think are going to really push the Lane Kiffin rumors to, to an apex Uh, And I think LSU can still do that as well, because obviously Jimbo Fisher shut it down about as well as we've seen in the modern era uh, on Monday with with his comments and how he'd be an idiot, which, you know, every sports writer in America has screenshotted and all that for for when that day comes. Um, But, you know, LSU's swinging for the fences. So it means they're going after targets who are, entrenched and happy at their current gigs, Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, Mel Tucker, guys who have built and started to sustain at their schools. So if you swing at big targets and start to miss, like LSU is theoretically doing, you're going to fall to that next tier. And that's where I think Lynn Kiffin will will pop up again, at least in the conversation. We all know Ordron Tried to hire him as the OC a couple of years back, so I think there's a lot of high-profile jobs that are going to to spout Kiffin's name, and it's going to be good for the program on the front end, and we'll see TBD on the back end. But it's going to be fascinating, and with every big win, it's going to pop up. So if if we get past Thanksgiving and Ole Miss has 10 wins, uh, it's going to reach a breaking point because that's right around the time where coaches get fired for good on a normal schedule. Of course, we've been accelerated this year. And then that following Monday is kind of like chaos. Okay, hot boards are going crazy, and who's going where all starts to get sorted out. So uh, I think all of this makes sense, right? Lane elevating the program, appreciating him while he's here, all the flowers, um, but also being realists and recognizing that this thing ain't going away anytime soon. So strap in.
1: Yeah, and, you know, as, as far as jobs like Virginia Tech and, and Washington and Washington State and sort of the, the other Power 5 jobs that are going to be open or that are already open, Duke's another one, Ole Miss also has to be concerned about those because there's absolutely no reason to believe that all of those programs won't look extremely hard at Jeff Levy. He is just as critical to Ole Miss's success as Lane Kiffin is on the field. Um, He might not have the, you know, boisterous magnetic personality that that Kiffin does in front of a camera and all that stuff, but he's probably – if not the top assistant in America right now, he's in the top two or three. So, you know, and, and, and Ole Miss probably dodged a little bit of a bullet when Texas Tech went ahead and hired that guy from Baylor, a, whose name escapes me right now, because Levy would have been in heavy heavy consideration for that job too. He probably was in heavy consideration for that job. Joey McGuire. Yeah, McGuire. Um, so... You know, Ole Miss has to be careful there too. If if Kiffin does somehow get lured away by a Florida or a Miami or you know another one of these jobs that opens up, I mean, who knows what else is going to open up? But they better move to <laughs> to potentially lock down Levy for themselves because he he would be in a unique position to keep this thing going at the same rate as far as. Offense and, and you know recruiting. I mean, he's a hell of a recruiter. So, um, quarter, especially quarterbacks, love his offense. Um, so it that that's another thing that old Miss has to keep in mind here as they go forward and into the last few weeks and all this coaching carousel stuff goes, starts to go crazy.
2: I feel pretty confident in saying that Jeff Levy has a strong and successful future as a collegiate head coach, I would say in the near future. Um, That's – I don't have sourcing on that. That's just kind of what my eyes tell me. Um, I I think that he sooner rather than later will probably be starting his head coaching career. Um, That's just how I feel. And I, I think he's primed for success. In, in that realm. I don't know where he'll start necessarily when he'll start. He may be at Ole Miss for no telling how long, okay? But I, I do think eventually he becomes a head coach at the FBS level, and I wouldn't be surprised if he rises pretty quickly just because of his track record. I mean, he's he's an innovator really on that side of the ball and um, has has shown the ability to to – revolutionize offenses, so to speak. Um, and and I just, I just think that's appealing in this day and age of college football um,
0: in, in the head coaching role as well. It's a good point with the FBS instead of, you know, I, I was focused on Power Five, but yes, when you go FBS, there's going to be a lot of trickle down, right? And, and the schools that make runs with great coaches who then become Power Five candidates – it's usually on offense, right? I think with the exception of Cincinnati and Luke Fickle, all of the, the flashy G5s, whether it's Frost at UCF, Hype at UCF, Chatwell at Coastal Carolina, all the App State coaches that have graduated into Power 5 jobs, Billy Napier, uh, uh, most of these guys were, were offensive guys for the most part. So I think once... If any of those guys, and Napier is probably among that group right now, probably the the hottest FBS coach outside the Power Five with a chance to to jump up, you know, then Jeff Levy becomes an even more no-brainer swing for the fences candidate for, for those schools, especially if a Sonny Dykes moves on from SMU. You know, some of these Texas schools get involved. Uh, then, then it becomes a really big storyline to follow with the roots that Levy has in Texas and West Texas, in particular. So it's it's going to be a true snowball effect in both directions because it's not just about those those big name jobs. So it feels like every job can affect Ole Miss's coaching staff in some capacity. And then for me, the lower tier group of fives um, that are out out there. D- does DJ Durkin start to get another look? I mean, this is a guy with head coaching experience and yes, he obviously had a lot of baggage and deservedly so around his name at one point. But as, as we've learned in college football, there is a, there is a, what's the word I'm looking for here. There is a, what have you done for me lately element that athletic directors will, will focus on as opposed to you know, maybe the last stop or two stops ago. So as time goes on, I think Durkin's case starts to become one to keep an eye on if some of the, the, the even lower tier FBF programs start to, or even FCS programs open up. So there's, there's a real trickle-down effect with the veterans on this Ole Miss coaching staff that is going to be fascinating to watch just like it is to watch the team itself.
1: Well, I, I think if your name is – anyone but Art Briles, you probably get a second crack at being a head coach. And even his name's gotten brought up a couple of times I, I've seen, but that's, that's probably never going to happen. But, I mean, if Hugh Freeze can get another head coaching job, I'm pretty sure DJ Durkin can get one. Um, and, hell, Hugh Freeze might be a candidate at some Power 5 schools coming up. And if he can get back to that level, there's no reason to believe that DJ Durkin can't get another um, – at least a G five or a, or, or a power five, you know, lower tier power five head coaching job out of what he's done with his defense since he's come on. So um, really, I mean, and there's all the way down the line on this Ole Miss staff too. There's, there's so many impressive people and, you know, who could potentially take another step out of what they've done at Ole Miss. I mean, Randall Joyner. I love Randall Joyner. I think he's, he's an amazing coach. He's an amazing person. Um, I spent some time around him when he was at SMU and he's just, he's one of the coolest people you've ever met. And he's, he's a, he's a dynamite recruiter and, and he's, he's another guy that eventually he's going to be a defensive coordinator somewhere. You know, he's, he's that magnetic of a personality and, and he's, he's a really, really good coach. He's, he's young and he's up and coming and players identify with him. And that's that's another guy. I mean, all the way down the line, Ole Miss's staff is very, very good. They've done a great job of putting it together. The challenge for them over the next couple of months here is going to be trying their best to keep as much of it together as they can. Because I, I would venture to guess that this thing is not going to stay completely intact one way or the other going into next season.
2: Yeah, I, I feel the same way too. Um not to not to pivot super hard, but uh are any of you guys going to pick Vanderbilt for the upset this week? <laughs> nope. I, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't
1: either. No. I, I think that it's it's sort of a a liberty situation for Ole miss. Get in healthy. The, in the sense that like, yeah, like, you know, get in, get out, get on with it. And um, I don't care if if I'm Ole Miss. I don't care if the score is, you know, ten to nothing. If, if I if I can play Luke Altmaier for a half, <laughs> I do it. Yeah. it. You know, it's it's that kind of deal for me.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I I don't think that. I mean, the line is like ungodly high in my opinion. Just because I'm not sure that Ole Miss is really going to play at its full strength, its its starters, for lack of a better term, um, for a full 60 minutes. So, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if Vanderbilt covers the spread, but mostly out of indifference from Ole Miss.
0: Wait, if, if Vandy played Liberty, neutral field, <clears throat> I mean, who's to be sure Liberty wouldn't be a touchdown favorite in that game?
2: Yeah, I was oh, I was going to say that Liberty would win, but yes. Yeah,
1: well, Liberty, I think, would win that game. Vanderbilt is very bad. <laughs> very. Very
0: uh, bad. Yeah. yeah, and it's – all those things you said about the SEC grandfathering in perception are really what's against Vanderbilt. They're they're surely on the island in the SEC um, where they benefit from that to no degree. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, I, I think – this it, look, it's a rebuild, Clark Lee, all that stuff. Um, backup quarterback I think the starter went down last week so yeah it's it's gonna be bad Uh, but the timing is good uh, for for Ole Miss right the the bye was early on and there was obviously a a mid-season you know wave of injuries that is still not totally sorted out for for the Rebels so I I do think that that it comes at a good time obviously it's an SEC opponent; they won't underestimate all of that stuff. But look, we're not playing those games, so we get to dictate where where we spend time, especially on this this here podcast. So, yes, I don't think anybody in the world is going to pick against Ole Miss this weekend. <laughs>
1: to be fair, and I know they're not the same program, and they're on two totally different trajectories, and all that stuff, and I get it. Trust me, I get it. But I don't think anybody picked Texas to lose to Kansas either. So crazier things have happened. I just. I just can't see it. I, I I think that every single thing in that game could go wrong for Ole Miss. They could turn the ball over four times in the first half. I still think they win by at least two touchdowns in the worst-case scenario.
2: So, you know, take yeah. that for what it's worth. Yeah. I, when you first started that statement, I was fixing to give everybody your Twitter handle so they would jump in your mentions instead of mine. Yeah. Um, because it sounded like you were going to say, oh, well, you know, crazier things have happened. Let's, you know, Vanderbilt couldn't win. And I was like, okay, God, here we go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Anyway, I feel like that's a good note to close on. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Grove Report podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe on all of your favorite platforms and make sure to check out com for all the latest news and analysis about your old Miss Rebels. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.